Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. If you have 90 minutes, I've got 90 minutes of information I want to give to you that will help you look at the prophetic scenario in God's Word and compare that with current events, and I'm absolutely positive it's going to help you to realize where we are in God's time, moving very close to the next event, the rapture. There's no prophecy before the rapture, but then the seven-year tribulation period and the return of Jesus Christ. My broadcast partners are standing by. They're all over the world. We'll make contact with them in a moment. Ken Timmerman is next. I want to remind you of some of our other broadcast partners that will be joining us here at the broadcast table. Winky Madad, a pulpourri of activities. We're going to talk about Hanukkah. We're going to talk about a conference that took place between Jews and Christians. Very first one to focus on the Temple Mount. You don't want to miss that conversation. And then Dr. Randall Price will come to the broadcast table. He is featured in a National Geographic magazine layout entitled Bible Hunters. And you might remember last time Randy and I talked, he was investigating two new caves there at Qumran. Well, keep the dial set. You do not want to miss these conversations. Ken, I know you're on the road. You're traveling down the highway, and you are so gracious to take a moment and let your wife drive. I didn't want you to die while we were doing the report running off the road, but thank you for being available. Look forward to our conversation, buddy. You bet. Thank you. Let's uh, get right underway so I can get you safely down the highway if we can. Uh, There's a lot of information out about Vladimir Putin's decision to get involved in a new arms race with Russia and the United States, the two components in that arms race. I I wonder how serious he is, and is this a very serious situation since President Trump withdrew from that recent agreement? Well, it is a serious situation, and it's a credible threat on Putin's part. Here's what's happened, is that the United States has announced its intention to withdraw from the Intermediate Force Agreement, Intermediate Nuclear Force Agreement, that President Reagan negotiated with the the Soviet Russians in 1987. And that agreement banned a whole class of missiles with ranges from roughly 300 50 miles to about 2,000 miles. They would be intermediate force. They were not ICBM, but intermediate uh, range missiles. And we have recently caught, in the past couple of years, really, both Russia and China violating the agreement. The Chinese are not parties, but they have agreed to another missile technology control regime that also bans these missiles. And so President Trump said, uh, look, there's no point in us continuing to adhere to those limits ourselves if the Russians and the Chinese, but especially the Russians, have already broken them and are developing and building and deploying those very missiles that were banned by treaty. So Putin is saying, well, okay, if you withdraw from the treaty, that means that you're going to build this kind of missile, so we're going to build them too, uh, denying, of course, that Russia was already building the missiles, which we know they are. So this it is a serious development. The Russians already in 2008 and 2009 pledged a $650 billion strategic weapons modernization program. So this is part of that program, if you wish, Gibby, that the research and development on these new missiles by the Russians has already been committed. They have the technology, uh, and, and I believe they've actually started to build these missiles. 
Do you think there's going to be an in-kind response by the United States? Uh, Absolutely, there will be. And it also should not be very long in coming. Uh, You know, we had that technology in the 1980s. There's certainly no reason why we can't have it again. And in particular, we can deploy cruise missiles to Europe immediately. And the Russians have a new nuclear-tipped cruise missile that's uh, in this intermediate range. Well, it looks like uh, the arms and the missile and nuclear weapons race is back on between these two major players on the world scene today. Well, speaking of Russia, and let's think about the relationship they have with Israel. They're in a crisis basically over Syria. And, uh, you know, they have really lacked putting together any kind of exit strategy if you don't know how you're going to end, there's no way to come to an ending, is there? Well, well that's right. And, and what's happened, uh, we've talked about this several times, but there's been some recent developments over the past week. You know, since the shootdown of that Russian plane on September 17th by Syrian air defense missiles, the Russians have backed off their relationship with Israel. They blamed it for Israel. Uh, it appears that they have shut down the emergency telephone, the red line, if you wish, between Tel Aviv and Moscow, between Jerusalem and Moscow, where Netanyahu would give early warning of Israeli airstrikes into Syria so the Russians could stand down the air defense. The Russians have done a couple of things just recently. Number one, they transferred control of those advanced air defense batteries, the S-300 slash S-400 missiles, to the Syrians. So the Syrians are not going to exercise the same kind of restraint in using them as the Russians did before. There's not going to be any hotline between Damascus and Jerusalem uh, where the Israelis will warn the Syrians you know, an hour before they strike. That's not going to happen. Also this week, the Israelis have shown their response, and uh, they launched a series of attacks against Quds Force targets in Syria. This is the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps, Quds Force, their expeditionary arm, right? Their overseas terrorist force. They knocked out their headquarters south of Damascus for the first time using surface-to-surface missiles and not the Israeli Air Force. So this is a clear sign to me that the Israelis no longer have that hotline with Russia. They no longer are giving the Russians early warning of their strikes and are using surface-to-surface missiles where it doesn't matter. They don't, they're not worried about the air defense missiles because the Syrians most likely are not going to be able to shoot down those uh, Israeli missiles. So that's a significant new development, and it also shows this increasing hostility between Moscow and Jerusalem. There's a lot of discussion going on between the European Union and Iran over the nuclear deal that was made under the Obama administration, which uh, the president, Donald Trump, withdrew from not too long ago. And there's a report that there was a missile test in Iran. They, Iranian leaders are saying they are going to vow to continue these missile tests despite the warning that came from Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State. Uh, well, that's right. And Pompeo, specifically after meeting with Netanyahu this past week at a NATO defense minister's meeting, he said we need to reestablish deterrence with Iran. Without reestablishing deterrence, there is a possibility of greater conflict with the Iranian regime. That's a very significant statement. We are told that uh, Netanyahu had some pretty specific conversations with Pompeo about joint U.S.-Israeli operations 
against the Iranians. These would be military operations against the Iranians in both Syria and possibly uh, Lebanon and Iraq. Things are developing rather quickly now. I think you're going to see more hot war confrontation between the U.S. and Iran, albeit through proxies to start with, but I think also directly because the United States has got several thousand troops in Syria. We know that the Iranians are targeting those troops and targeting those bases. So I expect you're going to see some direct clashes between Iranian forces and U.S. forces in Syria and possibly even in Iraq in the coming weeks and months. Can you just mention the conversation held between the Israeli Prime Minister and our Secretary of State on how the U.S. and Israel are going to coordinate their activities uh, against Iran? Do we know any more about that and how that plan may work out? Well, we don't. And, and that part of it has remained secret as it should be. But the very fact that Pompeo made this statement, and I think it's a very, very significant statement, again, he said that the United States, working with Israel, intends to reestablish deterrence with Iran, meaning we are going to whack the Iranians to get them to stop launching aggressive attacks against us or threatening uh, Israel through the Golan Heights or through Lebanon or directly through these missiles. So I think this is the portent of things to come and uh, an extremely significant statement. Keep it in mind, folks, going forward as you watch and read the news. Uh, the United States has essentially put Iran on warning. Well, it's somewhat of a given that if indeed this confrontation between uh, Iran and then the partnership of the United States and Israel, that in Syria, Israel may actually defy what Russia is telling them they want their relationship to be, and that could cause problems. Well, I think that's already happening, and I think that happened this week with that missile strike. When the Israelis chose to use missiles, they did not warn either Russia or Syria and uh, they're essentially telling both of them that's the way it's going to be from now on. If, if you don't want to cooperate with us, that's the way it's going to be. We will act unilaterally, unilaterally meaning we won't give you warning ahead of time, and we will act increasingly with the United States in, in operations uh, further afield to deter Iran. Real quickly, if you will, seems like the Iranian President Rouhani is thinking about uh, actually blocking a critical waterway in the Middle East there, which I'm thinking would probably be there at the Persian Gulf in the Strait of Hormuz. Yeah, that's right. Good luck with that uh, for the Iranians. <laughs> they, they, they've uh, warned, uh, you know, threatened to do this many, many, many times. And, uh, you know, it would block their own oil from reaching the market. Uh, it would disrupt world oil, oil markets for sure, but it would start uh, with blocking their own oil. Uh, they can do it for a day or two, uh, but the United States Navy has extraordinary capabilities and is certainly able to reopen the Strait within, I would say, 48 hours, should that happen. That's Ken Timmerman, our broadcast partner, who is doing a Willie Nelson today. He's on the road again, and he's in yeah, traveling right. down the highway, and he was so kind to be able to let us hook up and I think the reception has been real good, and so I'm excited about that. Thank you so much, Ken. Drive safely. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We will. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central and welcome back to Prophecy Today. I promised a Middle East news update. David Dolan is standing by. We're going to join him and have that conversation about the events unfolding in the Middle East in a moment. want to remind you about additional broadcast partners joining us at the broadcast table. Randy Price is a featured individual, a character that is involved with the National Geographic magazine, Bible Hunters. He's going to join us at the end of the next half hour. And we're going to be talking about his adventures there in Qumran. Not where the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually found, but not very far away. You need to keep your dial set for that conversation. And we are able to bring these people to you to give you the insight you need about the times in which we're living. One of those locations is the Middle East. David Dolan, the journalist there for over 30-some years and just knows all the insight and all the background information, all the details that we need to have when we have our conversations. David, a very interesting statement coming out about uh, the situation in the northern part of Israel. And uh, it was uh, seemingly helping us to understand how Israel and the United States are going to work in that part of the world to operate against Iran. It's called Northern Shield, as I said. Uh, Can you give us any information about it? Is it underway? It's definitely underway, Jimmy. It began on Tuesday and uh, I'm hearing from my sources that it may last up to a month, although it could be much quicker if it gets into a full war, or it could be longer if there's other things added on to it. 
the, the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, went up to uh, Matula, the northern border. That's an area I'm very familiar with because I lived in Kiryat Shmona, a town right next to Matula, and I crossed through Matula every day into Lebanon to work at the Voice of Hope radio station in the 80s. So I know it very well. And two tunnels so far have been uncovered. I'm hearing there may be up to eight additional ones. Jimmy, these are extremely sophisticated, very expensive. They put a lot of money into these. The one that the Prime Minister took 21 diplomats to see on Thursday uh, in Matula uh, comes from under a house about a oh, uh, quarter of a mile away. It's about 100 feet under the ground in limestone, so it's way down there, and it comes under the international border into Israel. Israel, we're hearing they've known about these tunnels for years, actually, but they were waiting until they saw what extent they were building, what other things they were going to do with them. So they've been monitoring it, but they decided that with the tensions as high as they are now, with the indications of regional war very, very high, that they had to take this task on now, even though it is winter also in Israel, and it's been very cold and rainy up in the north, over 100 soldiers from the IDF are involved in dismantling the tunnel from the Israeli side. Now, uh, the Prime Minister stated very clearly that we won't go across the border into Lebanon unless we have to. But he said, and I'm quoting now, there is a reasonable possibility that Israel will have to operate in Lebanon to neutralize Hezbollah's attack tunnels. Well, the OC, the IDF's uh, northern commander, General Yoel Strick, he met with the UNIFIL commander. Now, that's the UN forces along the border there, uh, Italian who commands that. He showed him uh, and some other UNIFIL officials the tunnel, just one of them. They say another one has been uncovered in a Shiite village further to the west, and then, as I said, there are others that they know of, but those are the two that they're talking about right now. And he insisted that UNIFIL go in with the Lebanese army, and UNIFIL cannot operate under the rules in the region there without the Lebanese army at least being present, and that they start dismantling, in other words, destroying the tunnels from the Lebanese side. He said very clearly, General Strick did, that if you don't do this, then we will. We will go in, we'll cross the border, and we'll go in there and destroy it, but we don't want to do that. We know there'll be a lot of screaming in opposition, and of course they know that Hezbollah would see that as the perfect excuse to open up its rocket barrages on Israel and really take us into a full-scale war. So this is a very tricky, delicate situation. The UNIFIL uh, commander did acknowledge the tunnel. Yes, that is a tunnel. He said it's a grave violation of the U.N. Resolution 1701, which ended the 2006 war, in which Hezbollah, Jimmy, is not supposed to be anywhere near the border. They're not supposed to be operating below the Latani River, which is about 10 miles north of the border. And here they've been down there secretly, quietly digging these tunnels all this time. It's a very difficult process. It takes a lot of sophistication, a lot of money. They have electricity in them. They have all sorts of communications equipment. Iran has been funding this. This is where the Iranian money has been going, as President Trump, I'm sure, will point out at a certain point. This was the reason that sanctions needed to be reimposed on Iran. So that's what's happening, Jimmy. It's a very delicate situation. It could easily spill into a full war. Of course, there was rioting again on Friday in Gaza, not as bad as before. The Hamas seems to be keeping
keeping the people away from the actual border fence, but there was rioting and trouble there again. So the situation remains very, very fluid, very volatile. For those that are listening in on this conversation, let me give you a quick geographical study here. When you look at Israel in the top northwestern corner, there is a border there with Lebanon. That's where Hezbollah, above that border in southern Lebanon, Hezbollah is located there. That's where the tunnels are there at Matula. So that helps you to figure out where it's at that we're talking about that is so key. But, uh, David, that also helps us to understand Hezbollah's plan to try to conquer the Galilee. It looks like it's already started as well. Well, this is what they were obviously uh, hoping to do, was suddenly come in, thousands of guys, and they have had around 7,000 troops, Jimmy, and they are troops. They're not militiamen anymore. They're fully trained soldiers south of the Latani River in the area that they were not supposed to be in, and Israel's protested that over the years. Nikki Haley pointed that out at the United Nations, that they need to get out of there. But they were there, and they could have quickly gone into these tunnels and come across, and suddenly Israel would wake up. This would probably happen at night and find that there are thousands of Hezbollah men in their towns and areas, and we would have a mess. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that they're still not a great threat, because, of course, as Prime Minister Netanyahu has pointed out, it's Hezbollah's rockets. Although he did say this week, Jimmy, that they don't have as many precision-guided rockets as they could have had because of Israel's airstrikes in Syria against Iranian and Hezbollah targets, which has reduced their capability to upgrade these rockets greatly. But he did say they have 20 or 30 of them. Well, if just one or two gets through and it's aimed at the Knesset or it's aimed at government office buildings or something, it could be, you know, a game-changer indeed. So it's still very serious. But they have a big ground force there, Jimmy. And, you know, it's a small, small area. We're talking about from the Mediterranean Sea to the Golan Heights. The northern border with Israel that Lebanon shares is just, oh, about 50 miles, I think it is. It's not very long at all. And uh, it's hard to defend because it's very mountainous. And Israeli communities also, Jimmy, are located all along the border. People might say, well, why would you build right along a hostile border? Well, these kibbutz settlements were put up as defensive settlements, as first-line communities to help defend the country. That's the way the Israeli people think about these things. So it's very, very serious. And again, Jimmy, we had uh, the Prime Minister mention the locations in Beirut that I've been talking about the past few weeks that he spoke about at the U.N. in September, where they're doing this upgrading of the rockets that Israel would hit those. But he did also state, we're not looking for a war with Lebanon, but, and he was very clear on this to the ambassadors, but we certainly hold the Lebanese government, which includes Hezbollah, but is not totally Hezbollah, it has other parties in it, we will hold them responsible for anything that happens here. And if there is a war, uh, we'll go as far as we have to, basically. And he's been saying that for some uh, months now. So very serious. And of course, the situation in Syria itself remains very, very tense. After the Israeli three-wave missile strike, I said last week, the initial reports were Israeli aircraft were involved in that. It turns out it was mostly missiles, and it did a lot of damage. We're hearing the casualties, at least 20, and a lot of damage to Iran's operations in Syria and to 
Hezbollah's operations there as well. So we'll just see what happens. But they have placed their forces, Hezbollah has, on full war footing, they've said. And, Jimmy, they moved those men, as I said, up north of the Latani River to get them away from frontline Israeli forces. But that doesn't mean they've gone very far away. They're still there. We could see a full clash at any time. This Middle East news update from David Dolan, absolute tangible evidence. It's key that we have the privilege of having David as our broadcast partner to cover the Middle Eastern region of the world, which is a key region as we understand better Bible prophecy. David, thank you for an excellent report. Appreciate it so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break and come back with Winky Madad, a broadcast partner with a pulpourri of items we want to discuss with him. Among them would be Hanukkah and how his family has been celebrating Hanukkah. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into the second 30 minutes. Remember, I needed three 30-minute segments, 90 minutes total, to be able to talk to my broadcast partners around the world and find out exactly what's going on in their region of the world and how these current events fit into setting up the stage of fulfillment for the prophetic scenario that's found in the prophetic passages of Scripture. Winky Badad is going to come to this broadcast table right now. You know Winky, he's a longtime broadcast partner for us. Winky, I've got a number of items I want to discuss with you. First of all, it's obvious we need to talk about Hanukkah. And we're in, I'm not sure what day it is, but there's a eight-day period for Hanukkah. Goes until next Monday, as I understand it. Let me ask to you and your family and to Jewish people, how important is the holy day of Hanukkah in your lifestyle today? Well, Jimmy, as you know, and we've discussed it several times, observant or religiously observant Jews are sort of restricted on holidays in the sense that the family either has to stay over in order to be together. There's no traveling either on the Shabbat or the various religious festivals. So sometimes people are limited. I mean, we don't have these Thanksgiving type of feast when everybody comes over. And Hanukkah is one of the holidays, there are a few, uh, in which there's no restrictions on work or traveling or turning off and on lights. 
that religious Jews keep. And so it, it's eight days of fried potatoes and uh, lighting candles and giving yeah. out gifts sometimes, or traveling and, and sightseeing that you can do because the kids are all off for school for about six days. Uh-huh. So I think it's a very nice time. Well, I would sound like that's something I would love to have in the Christian lifestyle celebration of Hanukkah. I guess, of course, we could do that. In fact, the person Jesus Christ did it, John chapter 10 and verse 22, he recognized the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. Now, this did not happen during the biblical mandate for the Holy Days, like in Leviticus 23. This was after the Old Testament was completed, the book of Malachi, 168 B.C. So it's not necessarily a biblical holiday, but it is a very special day to the Jewish community. You're correct. The holiday developed at the middle period of the Second Temple period, around 160, 165 of what we call BCE, before the Common Era, when the land of Israel had basically become occupied by Greeks who were in Syria, and because of certain offenses that the Jews considered against their temple and their worship, it was a revolt of Judah the Maccabee and his family. In fact, Jimmy, I think I once mentioned this maybe about 20 years ago, some of the battles are studied at West Point in terms of learning what guerrilla activity can be done on the ground, because they overcame a much larger uh, army. And the heart of the festival, as you mentioned, was the rededication of the temple, lighting the temple lights, and renewing the temple service. Today, I like to call it, it's the Jews are not occupiers of the Land of Israel festival, because all the battles took place in Judea and Samaria, and it has to do with Jerusalem. It's all, all those issues that the world seems to have a little bit of a problem with us. Yes, that's uh, that's correct, but that's, I believe, their ignorance. Well, in light of a focus on the Temple Mount, let's talk about the conference that took place this week there at the Begin Center, where you have worked for so many years. And in fact, I think it was the very first conference for Jews and Christians to get together and focus on the city of Jerusalem, but in particular, the Temple Mount. And I heard that uh, you were a speaker at the conference. Tell us about what happened. Well, Jimmy, there's a new organization that's about two, two and a half years old, as far as I know, led by a young man named Doron Kedar. It's called Cry for Zion, and he's reached out over these years, and what happened was we had about 300 people. I guess you'd have to up that to 400 if I count everybody who was there and left during the day, because it was a day-long conference. There must have been about 15 lectures. There were breakout sessions, and the entire focus was not theological, there were no sort of theological discussions, but it was Jewish-Christian cooperation and understanding why the issue of Jerusalem, and as you added, specifically the Temple Mount, should be a, a, a matter of concern for um, members of both religions and how to work together on this issue. Uh, I, I can't really tell you about how senior the Christian uh, people who were there but it seemed to be very powerful, and I know that it was live-streamed and thousands saw it. So I think it was a very successful start in the right direction. Absolutely. I do believe, and I wish I would have known more about it. I would have endeavored to try to uh, watch some of the live streaming 
Did they record any of that? Will it be at a website where you could go to it and watch some of the sessions? If you go onto Facebook and type in Cry for Zion, you'll come to their page, and they've got about three or four of the videos up, and I appear in the first one for about 40 minutes. Uh, there's someone from the city of David, there's someone from Sweden, Florida, a few other pastors around, including Jimmy, uh, Native Americans, uh, two what I used to call Indians, uh, now they're Native Americans, <laughs> uh, came and spoke about sacred ground as a concept. Uh, which uh, gave everybody, both Jewish and Christian, uh, a new insight into uh, that that issue. To me, it's so very interesting that uh, there was a conference held for Jews and Christians, and we're the ones that really have a focus, a, a very central focus on the Temple Mount, both in the past and in the future as well. And the people controlling it, the Muslim world, no connection at all, barely, anyway, to the Temple Mount itself. How ironic. Let me talk to you, and this is along the same line, about the United Nations General Assembly. They had a vote just recently to disavow any Jewish connection to Jerusalem, and in particular, again, the Temple Mount. I mean, this was unbelievable. It has to be ignorance. When you have 156 delegates from the different states, the member states of the U.N., vote against any connection for the Jews, they they just totally ignore all of history and what the uh, we learn, or actually what we don't learn from history for these particular people. But that was a that was a continuing way the United Nations is uh, focusing and disavowing everything the Jewish people want to do, isn't it? Well, Jimmy, I don't know how much ignorance is involved, but I do do know a lot of political pressure is involved. And I understand this year, if I read correctly, that the European Union has basically sort of given a warning that this is the last time. Uh, they will tolerate mentioning Haram el-Sharif as a holy place and not mentioning uh, the Temple Mount. That's basically the core issue of that resolution. As you said, it ignores any sort of Jewish historical, religious, uh, legal uh, uh, connection to Jerusalem and the heart of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. And I hope that finally we'll begin to move things back here. I hope the ambassador who will substitute or replace Nikki Haley will be strong and firm as she was on making sure that Israel is not run out of the forum uh, and run over by these nations, especially the Arab and Muslim countries. And I just hope that this will be the last time this type of resolution is passed. Well, that is our prayer as well. Well, let me talk lastly with you about uh, what has been uh, somewhat of a celebration of the life of George H.W. Bush, number 41, President of the United States, all week long. And, of course, on Wednesday he was there in state in the nation's capital, then moved down to Texas for the final burial there at his library. Talk to me about Bush 41 and Israel, the connection. Of course, I do believe there are two main events. He helped prepare the Ethiopians and set up that situation uh, back in 91, uh, Operation Solomon, to get about 15,000 Ethiopians from Addis Ababa to Jerusalem. I was there to cover that as a journalist. And, of course, there three days prior to the beginning of the first Gulf crisis. But talk, if you will, from a Jewish perspective and an Israeli perspective about George Bush 41. 
Well, Jimmy, to be fair to everybody, there is the human side of any politician, or should I say those politicians who do have a human side, and the politics of the uh, position and the role as a leader of a country. There were some conflicts. Here in Israel, for example, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, or which he basically sort of pressured Israel not to respond with any of our own defensive mechanisms in order to keep the coalition together. Many Israelis felt that was a great sacrifice on Israel's part, especially as we took 36 or so incoming missiles, and a lot of houses were, some of them were destroyed, and many were made to have to be rebuilt, I would have to say. On the other hand, uh, as you said, the Ethiopian Jewry, I think it appealed to him as a person, as a Christian person, actually, someone who actually he fought in World War II and knows what it means to, to help people in dire straits and needs. So uh, there was a plus. There were pluses, there were minuses. This usually happens in almost every political or geopolitical type of arrangement. It was obvious to Israel that he was a good man. I could say a few things about some of his aides or assistants, but uh, you know, we have a saying, Jimmy, uh, after a person is gone, only say something good. And so with uh, George Bush, what he did good was good, and what he, we could criticize a little bit uh, here and there. Okay, that's done and over, and let's get on with everything. And I think the new relationship we have with the American presidency is something to look forward to. Winky Medad, he's our broadcast partner now for many, many years and can speak on any subject at any time. We always have a thrilling time when we call and talk with Winky about these issues. For covered today, Hanukkah, the conference between the Jews and the Christians on the Temple Mount, the United Nations vote disavowing any Jewish connection to the Temple Mount, and George Bush 41. Winky, thank you for taking some moments to share your thoughts. Always appreciate them. It's great insight always. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation real soon in Chaksameyak during Hanukkah. Thank you very much, Jimmy. It's always been a pleasure being challenged by you on various subjects. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, let's switch now to another region that is key as we try to get an understanding of how the prophetic scenario found in God's Word seemingly is coming near to fulfillment as we look at current events in light of a biblical prophecy. I'm talking about the region of the European Union in Europe, a 28-member state operation, which could be 27 member states in the very near future. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us, and when I say that it could be 27 member states, it's up to what takes place this next week when uh, the people there in the Parliament in the United Kingdom have a vote on Brexit uh, do you have any heartbeat as to how it's going to unfold, or what do we know from the news? Well, the scenario appears to be very uh, negative towards the fact of the agreement being approved. The members of the British Parliament are much too divided to come through on this. They'll find a way to promote some of their interests. There's actually a provision that they can add amendments to uh, Theresa May's Brexit deal document. But there's still too much division for even those to come through. There were 100 conservative members of parliament that came out against 
the EU plan from Theresa May Brexit. And so now uh, what will happen, there's almost an overwhelmingly chance that this will be defeated. There's going to be a large debate for five days. The actual vote is on uh, December 11th, which is coming up. But uh, what will probably happen, we have a scenario that the prime minister could very well be compelled to resign. And then we have the situation where, you know, Boris Johnson, the ex-foreign secretary, has resigned earlier in, in all the process of what's happening. So he's in position that he can make a run for the uh, prime minister position. And then just in the last couple of days, Nigel Farage, he resigned uh, again from the United Kingdom Independence Party. So it appears that people are shifting, assuming that Theresa May could very likely be out. The other big uh, possibility is that there's an extension to the European Union Article 50. And so how can that be? You know, it's, it's in the treaty, and, you know, there has been a vote. But the EU can be very sly in how they can work these things, and so they break their own rules. And in the United Kingdom, if it had a second referendum, they would be breaking their rules. But it appears that uh, an extension to the process could be possible, and that would just be a way to uh, gain more support and have the, the United Kingdom stay in the European Union. I'm not certain that would happen, but the EU certainly is capable of changing their own rules. Well, the situation with Tony Blair is he would like to go to a another referendum, a second referendum on the vote, give the people of Great Britain an opportunity to have their say, ultimately. Is that a viable possibility in any way, shape, or form, John? Yes, with an extension. I think the time now uh, wouldn't permit it. But with an extension, yes, and it's likely that a second referendum would not pass. Tony Blair is on that side, and Boris Johnson is on the other side. It does look like we're coming up for a very important change in the United Kingdom, no matter what. Yes, that does seem the case as we look at the political activities there in the European Union, of course, setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. Talk to me about word coming out of Rome, Vatican renewing their call for a two-state solution, especially in light of the fact that Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, met with the Pope this week. Yes, uh, you know, the Palestinian leader went and met the Pope, and the Vatican has come out and renewed this call for a two-state solution to the Middle East conflict. This process has been going on for decades. This has been since the mid-'80s the Palestinian negotiators have come out and uh, uh, supported a two-state solution. The European Union, they support a two-state solution very clearly. President Trump also is sharing support for a two-state solution, but decade after decade this has never happened because the main stipulation is that it they're insisting on reaching the pre-1967 borders but there is again a renewed call towards a two-state solution which puts uh, even more pressure on israel john thank you so very much very important report appreciate it we'll talk again next week thank you jimmy now let's bring to this broadcast table 
Dr. Randall Price, he's a professor at Liberty University there in Lynchburg, Virginia, travels all over the world speaking in conferences on a number of issues, in particular his archaeological digs and focusing especially on Qumran right next to the Dead Sea in Israel. And that's why I wanted to bring him back on the broadcast so quickly. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. We are talking about the false Dead Sea Scroll fragments that uh, the Bible Museum in Washington seemed to have discovered. And Randy was really great in explaining all of that to us. And during that conversation, Randy, you actually talked about two caves, not very far from where the original 1947 Dead Sea Scrolls were found. I know that you've been doing some digging there, and in fact, it was even talked about in a recent National Geographic magazine. I believe the entire theme for the magazine, Bible Hunters, you are one of those. You've worked with the Dead Sea Scrolls before, but Why was it so important uh, to deal with these two caves not far from the original finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Why were those two caves important? Well, they're important because they're located to the south of Qumran, and all of the discoveries made previously were to the north of Qumran. And for one reason or another, I guess because of the political situation connected with this being in the disputed territories, it's been difficult to access those. There was also the feeling by many scholars and archaeologists that these caves uh, had nothing in them. They'd been either stuff had been removed in antiquity or looted in the present day, and so it wasn't worth the effort. In 1993, however, they did do a survey of these caves, at least giving them a number, and that was because after the Declaration of Principles, there was the concern that just as Jericho had been given back to Palestinians, or at least they given to the Palestinians, wasn't given back to them, that more land would be given, and Qumran was on uh, the map of the Palestinian state. And so it's, it was necessary to at least see what might be lost uh, if that were to happen. It was based on those uh, identifications and some of the things that, that were observed that we went ahead in 2017 and excavated one cave, and then this last January, uh, two additional caves, and now this coming 2019, uh, two more caves. And the purpose, of course, is to avoid these things being looted in the future, so this is a salvage excavation, but also because, as you noted on that previous program, so much of the scrolls are in question. Uh, Where they come from is uh, dubious. That's why people are concerned about them being fakes. So the best thing we can do is find them exactly where they were left 2,000 years ago in original jars, in an excavation, so there's no question whatsoever. Well, in your investigation of those several caves you've just mentioned, actually you found no manuscripts but some very important artifacts, did you not? Well, we found things connected with the manuscripts. In other words, we found uh, bits of papyrus and parchment, and some of those may yet have text on them. We're doing multispectral imaging to see if we can bring those out. And we found the wrappings that are characteristic of wrapping Dead Sea Scrolls and ties with them. We found very interesting stick that didn't mean much until we realized in the literature that this same type of stick was found within a jar and is now in Amman, Jordan. It was, in a, it was used for packing the scrolls down inside of the jars. And so we, we have all these things that are connected with the hiding of scrolls and the preservation of scrolls. 
We even found the iron picks that were used to, uh, shall we say, enlarge parts of the case so they could hide the jars in them. So these kind of things all point to the fact that scrolls were there. Now we're on the trail of other caves that may uh, still have those scrolls because they were too difficult to retrieve in the past. I've got to put up this National Geographic magazine article that uh, talks about you and your search in these caves. But I thought it was so unique. I got to the last couple of paragraphs, and I read that, Beverly, your your precious wife, uh, we've known you and your wife for many years, Judy and I, that she is involved in all of your investigating of the caves, all your archaeological digs, and she was the one that actually found the top of one of those jars and came out hollering and telling you that, hey, I think I found something here. <laughs> well, she's found many more things than that, and she's worked on our previous excavations for 10 years at the Qumran Plateau, and then uh, she found some other things from the cave as well, including that little piece of uh, papyrus and some textiles that were from people's garments from 2,000 years ago. And amazingly, they're white, bleached white, and we read in the Dead Sea Scrolls that the people who lived at Qumran uniquely wore white garments. So uh, she's had quite a uh, uh, help with that. My son also, uh, Jonathan, has been involved from the beginning, and he's our dig administrator, like your boys who continue to work uh, over in Israel uh, with your projects. Uh, my son is involved. You know, that is great. I'm into nepotism myself. I just enjoy having the family with us, and praise the Lord for that and your dear family. You know, you mentioned just earlier, and you alluded to the political aspect of this whole thing, and and that's really concerning to me. Uh, Can you give us, if indeed uh, you find all of these articles, it looks like Israel should be the recipient of all of your digs, uh, all the items that you find, but is that the case? Will that work out if uh, there's a two-state solution or whatever political outcome there is in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Well, of course, the political rhetoric is one thing and the actual possession is another. And right now, Israel maintains control of all the Dead Sea Scrolls found at least since 1967. Uh, before that, a lot of uh, the scrolls are in Amman, Jordan, because they had they had occupied that area of Israel, except for the caves to the north. Uh, some of that was sold on the black market to Israelis, and then some was bought from the United States on the open market. And that's what's in the shrine of the book in Israel today. This is the heritage of the Jewish people. I was interviewed a number of years ago by a student from Berkeley who was actually working for the Atlantic Monthly and didn't always let his intentions be known, but when his article came out, he entitled it, Pseudo-Archaeologist Plunders the West Bank. And the reason for that is because of the Palestinian claim that all those lands belong to them, and all the finds in those lands, therefore, are theirs. And they've made a a claim for the Dead Sea Scrolls as belonging uh, to the Palestinians. But as I told him when he asked about Palestinian remains, I said, well, there's nothing here except Jewish remains and Roman remains. And unfortunately, the Palestinians weren't here to leave remains. <laughs> so we don't have anything. They can make a political claim, but they can't make a cultural heritage claim based on history and fact. Well, that is going to indeed be a very significant part. And the role that is played out as it relates to these archaeological digs and the finding of the scrolls. You've been referred to as a Bible hunter, and I'd like that title for you, Randy. 
But the scrolls are more than just a a desire for an archaeologist like you and your family to be able to find. It's a part of our Bible's background and heritage today and key for us as Christians to know how God wants us to live and what his plan for the future is as well, is it not? Yes, that's correct. Well, look, the motivating factor for me, because of my faith and my allegiance to the Scriptures as God's inspired Word, is to find more things that shed light on it to help us understand it better, to give us the oldest copies we have so we can have a a clearly reliable text that we can all have confidence in. Uh, Not that we don't, but we can always have more. And, uh, you know, that's uh, my motivation. And mentioned in the National Geographic article that uh, I was sort of a faith-based archaeologist. Well, that's true. Uh, I don't have a great deal of interest in Indian artifacts or Chinese artifacts. My my love is the Bible. Uh, That's what I think we need to know more about. That's what is of greatest benefit to men. And so anything that impacts that, I want to give my life to. And part of that involves this archaeological endeavor. And I so praise the Lord you have given your life to that. And, of course, you're teaching there at Liberty University and around the world as you travel and speak in many, many locations. Randy, thank you for taking a short moment out of your busy schedule to have an interaction with us here on Prophecy Today. Appreciate it so much. Any new developments, we'll stay on top of those with you as well. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we go into our last half hour. David James and I will be having a conversation about uh, a new survey that says, well, most Christians believe that the Lord listens to any and all religions. You need to hear what David James has to say. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to our last half hour. In this half hour, I'll have a conversation with David James. We'll focus on an issue that needs to be discussed in light of how we as Christians should walk and live our Christian experience each and every day. And we'll be talking about should Christians think that God hears every other person of any religiosity as their prayers go up to God, or does he only hear the ones who know his son as Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior? So keep the dial set where it is. We'll come together for that conversation at my broadcast table in a moment. Be sure to go to my homepage, prophecytoday.com. While there, go on the left-hand column, scroll down, and find the poll question. Here it is. As Jews around the world celebrate the Jewish holy days of Hanukkah, and at the same time, we look at the current events unfolding in our world that seem to fit the prophetic scenario found in the Bible, could we quickly be approaching the next event, the rapture of the church? That's the poll question. Make sure you answer that question. And get the information. We just have a couple of days before we begin our School of Prophets Conference, December 11, 12, and 13, right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, on the shores of the Tennessee River. You can get the information. We can squeeze you in. We're going to have a great conference. Don't you dare miss it. Information on my homepage at my website. 
want to remind you that this is the Christmas season. Now, you should know that very well. You want to save some money on Christmas shopping and go to a one-stop Christmas shopping headquarters, it's my website, prophecytoday.com. And starting today, all DVDs and CD series in the Prophecy Bookstore will be 50% off, half price. You can't believe that. This includes all the CDs and DVDs that I have produced with the help of my two sons, Rick and Jim, our latest CD series, a manual for end times, and the President's Politics and Prophecy CD and DVD. All, everything in the bookstore, 50% off. Shop now, one-stop shopping headquarters for Christmas. And speaking of that, this is the end of the year, and it's the time for giving for you and your family to consider how you might give an opportunity for our ministry, Prophecy Today, to extend into 2019. It will be our 30th anniversary of Prophecy Today. We're endeavoring to try to raise $50,000 to go into 2019, and your year in giving would help us to do that. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there you'll find the way you can donate. It's prophecytoday.com slash partners, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S. And thank you in advance for what you're going to do as you help our ministry go into the new year. We now bring to these microphones David James. David is actually in Hungary getting ready to leave that part of the world to come back to the United States and actually come right over here to Chattanooga for our School of Prophets conference that begins on Tuesday this next week. A great crowd coming from all across America. And we're excited about what we're going to be able to do here in Chattanooga. David, I know it was exciting for you to be there with your children and your grandchildren at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Hungary. But I'm excited about what we're going to be doing next week also. Well, I am too. You know, I've had a great two weeks here, courses that I teach all over the world, critique of the charismatic movement, and uh, also understanding Roman Catholicism, which is which is very important and actually is kind of connected to even the topic that we're going to be discussing today. But then uh, I head out and I arrive home around 8 o'clock on Saturday night, and then I head to Chattanooga about 8 o'clock on Monday morning. So it's a quick turnaround, and um, I'm looking forward to teaching a new course for the school, and that is graphics and PowerPoint design to help our students learn how to more effectively communicate the Word of God to their congregations and maybe in their college and seminary classes as well. Yes, and let me give a word of testimony. David helps us with our graphics here on our website, and even in our productions like the School of Prophets, and of course I'll be teaching as I go through most of the New Testament and show you where all the prophetic passages are. So David knows his stuff. You do not want to miss it. We can still sign you up. Go to the website, prophecytoday.com. You'll get all the information you need on a revolving banner that's at the top of our home page. David, I ran across an article this week on the Christian Post website about a very disturbing survey concerning how evangelicals are actually viewing other religions today. I send it to you. What are your thoughts? Well, I was glad that you did send it to me, because it's something that's actually a topic that's near and dear to my heart as I 
travel around the world and try to bring right theology, correct biblical exposition and interpretation to uh, students around the world on various theological topics. And a lot of these students come out of a lot of different religions, saved out of Hinduism, saved out of Roman Catholicism, saved out of tribal religions and various other religions around the world, even including Islam. And this article that came out in late October as you said on the Christian Post website, the title of the article is Most Evangelicals Believe God Accepts Worship of All Religions. And Chris Larson, he's not the uh, author of the article, but he is the president of Ligonier Ministries, says of the results of this survey, which was conducted by Lifeway Research, a group related to the Southern Baptist Convention, he said there is an urgent need Uh, After seeing the results of this survey, there's an urgent need for bold teaching of historic Christianity. And this was actually a fairly significant survey. I had a sample of about 3,000 Americans who were interviewed, and they were asked about their uh, views on a series of theological statements, including uh, the question of whether God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And the results of that survey are really quite disturbing, and, and they seem to be representing a trend as well. And in fact, What they're saying right now as a result of the survey is that something like 51%, a full 51% of evangelicals believe that God accepts worship from uh, those in apparently any religion. I think, David, there are several things that we should probably discuss that are very important for our listeners. I think the first thing concerns what it means to be an evangelical and is the definition actually somehow changing over time? Well, I do believe that it is changing over time. The term evangelical, as I would understand it, has historically meant that someone believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God himself, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice of God, dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for our sins and arising from the grave on the third day, and that salvation and the only way of salvation is through faith in Him. And that is what has historically been meant by evangelical. And typically today I identify myself as an historically conservative evangelical. But I think this survey represents the fact that evangelicalism as a whole, and to be called an evangelical, no longer carries that very uh, very specific and very precise meaning, because if you're breaking faith from Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, if you're breaking that away from what it means to be an evangelical, you've actually completely changed the definition of the word, and I would say, have completely robbed it from its meaning. You know, this survey, David, really reminded me of a different survey that came out way back in 2008 that actually led to some major changes in your life and your ministry. And I'm kind of excited about the fact that I was also a part of that decision for you and your life and ministry. 
praise the Lord for that decision we've made. It's been 10 years of very fruitful ministry for you and our great opportunity to partner with you. This recent survey cited in the Christian Post article also noted a couple of other major theological issues that go directly against what the Bible actually says and are completely different from what evangelicals have generally believed for literally hundreds of years. Well, that's really true. It was noted in the article that it was so disheartening to find out that a large number of evangelicals actually believed that faith in Jesus Christ was not necessary for salvation, and they did not believe that Jesus was God himself that he was actually a created being. And we know that those things are not true, that Jesus is God himself, God in the flesh. And for someone to call themselves uh, an evangelical and not hold to such a fundamental belief in things that are so very clear in the Word of God certainly is quite disturbing. So let's deal with the important question concerning God of the Bible accepting the worship of those of other religions? Well, the fact is, God says that he will share his glory with no one else, that the God of heaven, the Creator God, is the only God that there is, one God in three persons, the Eternal Father, the Eternal Son, and the Eternal Holy Spirit, and that all other gods, Moses writes in the Old Testament, and Paul confirms this in the New Testament, that the worship of idols or anything else that claims to be God actually is the worship of demons. So it's actually quite impossible, according to the Word of God itself, that those in other religions are worshiping the God who revealed himself in the Bible, but they are actually worshiping demons. So this is no small matter uh, at all. You know, it may not be hard for most evangelicals to understand that there's a major difference between the millions of gods of Hinduism, for example, or the local gods of trees, mountains, and rivers, and tribal religions, and the God of the Bible. But I I think it's probably becoming more confusing when it comes to what many call the three Abrahamic religions of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. I would say you're right about that. I think that more and more people who call themselves evangelicals believe that Jews, Christians, and Muslims all worship the same God because they do trace roots back to Abraham, but they are not worshiping the same God and it is a a mistake to think that they are. For one thing, in Islam, they believe that it was Ishmael that Abraham was going to sacrifice and that the Jewish people corrupted what we would call the revelation of God in the Hebrew portion of the Bible, the Old Testament, and Islam came out of pagan religions in the Middle East. So God of the Bible and, and Allah are not the same person. In a similar way, I would say this, that Jews would be closer in the sense that they uh, are worshiping God as he revealed himself in the Old Testament, but they missed the prophecies that made it very clear that God would become a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and so they reject Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. And that being the case, 
they too, along with Islam, saying it in a little bit different way, but ultimately saying that God has no Son. And we know that salvation actually is found only in the Son, as God uh, the Father draws people to the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, and all three persons of the Godhead are involved in salvation. So it's something that we must take quite seriously. Yes, very seriously, I agree. And that's one of the reasons when I sent the article to you, I just really strongly wanted us to have this discussion here today. Very key as far as the body of Christ is concerned and an exhortation to pastors and teachers to teach the Word of God and what it actually says. David, great research. Thank you so much for the interaction. We'll have another similar conversation next week. Thanks. Look forward to it. And Lord willing, I'll see you in Chattanooga in a a couple of days. Looking forward to that as well. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to come back. I'll open up the Bible. I'll take a look at the book. We're going to bring it all together as I bring a compilation of all the reports together and look at God's Word and see what they say about the end times in which we are living. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We've received reports from our broadcast partners that alert us to the events of the end times that are foretold in Bible prophecy found in the Bible. These reports are key 
you and I, who are students of Bible prophecy, must hear these reports from our broadcast partners, helping us to understand current events and how they do fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We need to be abreast of what God's Word says. That's what drives our study and understanding of Bible prophecy. And only as we use the prophetic passages of Scripture can we recognize how these prophecies in every book of the Bible are helping us to know how the future is going to unfold. And of course, as we hear the reports from our partners, and then we study God's Word, we can recognize where we are in God's plan for the end times. Now, if you want to listen to these reports, you had to miss some or whatever, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can hear all of my broadcast partners' reports. They'll give you the information you need to understand about geopolitical activities happening around the world. And may I suggest you tell a friend they need to hear these reports as well. Help spread the word, and in fact, tell them they need to keep spreading the word after they listen as well. Let's keep it going all across the world. But right now, I would like to rehearse for you the lead stories from my broadcast partners and give you a prophetic perspective on these current events. For example, Ken Timmerman, who looks at all the geopolitical activities around the world, came up as his lead story today that Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, is warning of a nuclear race with the United States because of President Trump pulling out of a nuclear agreement. You need to understand this whole story. Ken gives us great insight, background behind what has happened and what will happen in the future. This is a part of a scenario where Russia becomes a major player, Ezekiel chapter 38. Magog is the location. Gog is the personality there in that passage of Scripture, and it talks about Russia as Magog, and the plan is to form a coalition of Islamic states, that's the lowest common denominator, to endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. You need to be a Russian watcher. Everything they do setting that stage for this scenario found in Ezekiel chapter 38. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. He's been a journalist there for over 35 years in the Middle East. We were talking about Operation Northern Shield. And that's dealing with the Israeli military in the north of Israel, and in particular at the border between Israel and Lebanon. And of course, on that other side of the border from Israel is Hezbollah, a surrogate terrorist group from Iran. They are prepared to attack the Jewish state. In fact, they're calling for a complete capture of the Golan. That's what Hezbollah wants to do. Northern Shield is to deal with that attack on Israel from Lebanon. The Bible talks about Lebanon as a part of that coalition of nations who will come against the Jewish state of Israel. That's Psalm 83 and verse 7 where it talks about Tyre. You need to understand how these players are going to come together. Then they're going to say, Let's wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that her name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. 
Winky Madad had several items he brought to the broadcast table, a potpourri of items. But what was of such interest to me was the conference between Jews and Christians in Jerusalem. It was held at the Menachem Begin Center, and there they had a number of Jews and Christians come together. No Muslims, nobody else, just Jews and Christians who had a focus on the Temple Mount. You realize the Temple Mount is key to the Jewish faith. Their Messiah will return. He'll build a temple on the Temple Mount and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, where he will build that temple and rule and reign from that temple forever. Also, in Psalm chapter 132, it says, The Lord, the Messiah, and I would say Jesus Christ, has chosen Jerusalem to dwell among his people forever. So the Temple Mount is very sacred and very key to the understanding of the end times, both for the Jews and the Christians. Great conference. You need to hear the report from Winky Madad. The man who covers the European Union, another region of our world that is key to the prophetic scenario found in Bible prophecy, is John Rood. We were talking about the failing of the Brexit vote and the pullout of the United Kingdom from the European Union. Looks like Theresa May may lose this one and, in fact, may lose her position as Prime Minister of Great Britain. John was on top of that story. You need to hear what he said. And then there was an interesting conversation I had with Dr. Randy Price. He was featured in a National Geographic magazine article. It's on our website, prophecytoday.com. You need to go read it. But I talked with Randy about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how he has found additional caves and some artifacts that seem to indicate they had manuscripts in those caves from the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. We had some very interesting conversation with Randy. It's so key for us to understand and believe and have the acceptance of the Word of God, our own Bibles. David James and I talked about Christians who say that other religious prayers by other people, non-Christians, will be heard by God But that's not what God's Word has to say. Very important discussion David James and I had. You need to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go over to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You need to hear the conversation I had and then put it together with the prophetic scenario, the prophetic perspective that I have just given you here on Prophecy Today Weekend. You know what you'll conclude? All of the items we talked about are actually setting the stage for the next event in God's calendar of activities, which is the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trump of God sounds, and those of us who are born-again, Bible-believing Christians will be caught up to meet him in the air to ever be with him. Oh, that's called the rapture. I told you that, right? And you know, the rapture is the next event that can happen. There's nothing to stop it. It could happen at any moment even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.